It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition locked on NBA podcast. Every Monday I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from locked on. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for locked on NBA podcast available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are locked on Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Pacers Podcast. My name is Adam Friedman, as always, one of the hosts of this wonderful show. So, on today's podcast, we will bring you another portion of our player season reviews. Um, We are making the assumption that the regular season has ended. Um, I think it's a fair assumption to make, or at least mostly ended. Maybe there'll be some kind of five-game kind of um, starter before they run, hit, hit the playoffs, sometime hopefully late June, July kind of range. So I'm making that assumption. So with that assumption, Tony and I have been doing player uh, season reviews, just kind of talking about their season. You know, we played enough games where if, you know, guys played 60, 65 games, um, it's considered enough for a season. I mean, you know, last year some guys didn't even make that many games and have full A2 games. So, um we're gonna do we're gonna do kind of a whole series, you know, walk through best moments, best game, turning points, things like that. And on today's show, I'm gonna do Miles Turner, who um, I think had one of the more up and down wavy seasons. And then at the end of it, I'll bring on a special guest to kind of talk about Turner and give her take on Turner during these quarantine days. But first, a quick break, and then we'll get to the podcast. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Hey, so let's take a little switch here from talking about video games to talking about the lovely people over at Blinkist. Blinkist is possibly the most useful app you could have on your phone. It's really unique. Uh, you can be on your tablet or your web browser also. But what it does is they take the need-to-know information from thousands, thousands, thousands of nonfiction books, condenses it from the full length of the book to like 15, 10, 15 minutes uh, segments that you can read or listen to instead. So you can save a bunch of time, not have to read the full book, and get the full takeaway. And it has the audio feature, which is great uh, for commutes, for whenever you need to do it. Um, I have heard of Blinkist is really good when driving and traveling. Uh, a lot of people like Blinkist because it's the fastest way to like intelligently be informed quickly. Uh, some quotes from listeners say, I like Blinkist because it helps me get the key takeaways of a book in only 15 minutes so I can incorporate those learnings into my life immediately. So um, really great way to, to digest a lot of information. They have books basically of any type that you could want. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for the audience of this show. Go to Blinkist, Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash MBA to try it for free for seven days and save 25% off of a subscription. That's Blinkist dot com slash MBA to start your seven-day free trial and save 25%. All right, so Miles Turner finished the season playing 55 games. That means he missed nine games total, averaging 11.8 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 1.1 assists in 2.2 blocks per game. Uh, his block numbers were down, but his defensive rating was up. Uh, this was his, I believe, one of not his best defensive rating, but one of his top two defensive ratings in his in his career. Um, he had a fan, you know, to me, he he had I almost said fantastic, but he had a Fantastic defensive season, um, especially in the last you know 15 to 20 games. He turned it on and really became kind of I think the most important player on the defensive end for them. Um, you know I'm thinking against Boston the last game they played when they lost he was incredible on defense. He's important against Dallas. Um, I mean you can go back you know when they beat Toronto earlier in this year he was really important. I mean he he has been um, in every moment where this team kind of comes up big and late it seems like he is a part of that defensively. Now you can make a case offensively. And something's going to lose, he screws up and blows it. But mainly when this team comes up big in a game, it's because he is so good defensively that it kind of carries them or it helps kind of stifle the team you know, in, in close moments. Um, so this year, I think his season kind of to recap it real fast. So it started off pretty well. Uh, he's played four games before his first injury. Uh, in those four games, he was averaging 15 points, seven rebounds on 55-53 shooting. Then he got hurt. Ankle injury, I believe. Missed the next... Eight games, comes back, and things get a little wonky. Um, if you look at his next, you know, it's basically until the end of the year, right? So he comes back um, mid-November. Through the end of the year, his stats are a little bit shaky. So he's dropped in 11.6 points per game on 44-35 shooting. Um, you know, I don't know whether that was, by the time he comes back, Sabonis has finally kind of stepped in to being, I mean, the player that, the all-star, right? So I think before the season started, there was it was kind of like, who's going to step up? There were thoughts, could Turner make a leap to an all-star? I think Sabonis probably could make a leap from, let's say, the 70th or 80th best player to the 50th best player where Turner was. Instead, Sabonis made this massive leap past Turner. By the time Turner returned, he's sort of taking a backseat role and sort of just playing the four offensively and letting Sabonis be the dominant force offensively, really, in every play, right? Turner's mainly sitting in the corner and whatnot. Um, so this, like, 20 to 22-game stretch... Um, Turner's still good. I mean, he has a couple of solid games here. So you have the Toronto game, which I think may be his best game of the season, in my opinion. 
um, the Toronto December 23rd game where they come all the way back um, to win that game. I think they were trailing about like 10 in the first quarter, something crazy like that. Come on, my bad. Go to overtime. Win. He hits a big three in OT, a big three in the end of regulation. Um, he plays awesome defense. I mean, he has. I mean, he has, finishes now with twenty four and seven, seven, uh, and three blocks. I mean, he was just incredible in my opinion in that game. That was probably his best game against against a good team, right? And then you kind of then you start hitting the stretch, right? So from from the beginning of the year, uh, through basically we'll say the All Star break, which was the twelfth. He has he starts, um, he kind of starts cratering some more in terms of his three-point shooting, but his blocks go up. Um, he's down to this point. He's at 11.6 points per game on 44, 30% shooting. So again, you know, you see him have a couple of these really nice games, but he has a really couple of really terrible, awful games. I mean, we're talking about like a three for eight night, zero for one for five from three against Minnesota. I mean, you know, in this stretch, I would say he had a really nice game against Chicago where he had 27 points. Where I think again, that's where I felt like he was playing better, but just kind of not great. Um, and really, that kind of stretch continued basically until the last, you want to say, like six games of the season, right? The last six games of the season, he finally, I think, turned a little bit of a corner. He's up to 13 points per game. He's at seven. Re- he's at 8.5 rebounds. Uh, he's at over three blocks. That helps he had eight blocks against um, New Orleans during this stretch. Or Charlotte. No, sorry, this is out the Charlotte. If you add the Charlotte game in, in this stretch, and I didn't, he's up to four blocks per game on 47, 35 shooting. And so... This is when it felt like, again, he'd, he'd kind of turned the corner, right? I think after that terrible Toronto loss, um, it felt like he had kind of come back. He's playing well. And uh, in this stretch, this last 8-10 to 10 game stretch, was it wasn't him scoring a ton of points, but it was him scoring efficiently. We see a lot of 6 of 10s, 7 of 11s, 6 of 9 games. Games where he's efficient and shooting well from 3, scoring double-digit points, having grabbing a lot of rebounds, doing just a lot of different things. Um kind of more of the overall all-around player the Pacers need, right? So the thing about Turner all season was the Pacers did not need him to be their best, second, third best offensive player. I mean, they had Brogdon, they had Warren, uh, and they had Sabonis, and then you can throw in there when they got Vic back, they had him, and then you could throw in the fact that when one of the guys hurt, they had Lamb or Aaron Holliday stepped up, so they, they didn't need Turner to be the offensive player. What they needed him to be was a, a superb defensive player and then a stretch the floor threat offensively right and he certainly had to take his three-point shot when he had it he couldn't be afraid to he had to like you know if teams basically said we're going to force you to take turn shots let him take it and you know a couple points you know he ends the year with a, a 30 uh four 33.6 percent three-point shooting percentage but he takes 4.2 threes per game which is his career most by about one and a half a game but a couple points in the season he was up to 40 percent and it felt like his last eight games he's heading towards a stretch where he was going to get three point percentage up to like the 36 percent 37 on four attempts which is pretty solid for a center and not you know you can't say that say that for a lot of centers um one thing i want to say about this year for turner is this is probably his most consistent year right he missed basically 10 games uh, ten or, yeah, I think ten games he missed this year. Uh, he really had one major injury. The other time, I forget what happened in. in now I'm blanking on what happened to him in, in January. But he missed two games on the West Coast road trip, uh, or that last West Coast road trip, and then missed the game at first game in Chicago. But I think it was just minor injuries. Like he didn't have any, you know, besides the turnacle, he didn't have any major injuries. He he played about only 29 minutes per game, which is a was about what he's been playing. Um, overall, but it felt like two his so his fouls were down to a career low 2.5 per game. So before his minutes would be down because he was fouling so much. Now I think this year it was more a, a concerted attempt to realize that you can't play Turner 35 minutes, but you could play him 28 really good minutes or 29 really good minutes. Uh, if you played him 30 to 30, 33 to 35, he's going to get hurt. 
He's not going to be able to play a lot of games. So the idea was play him like 28 to 30 minutes a game, but you get good minutes out of him and you'll um, extend his longevity for a season because, remember, he's really important to this Pacer team because he is their best defensive player. I mean, um, it's weird as a center, you know, he can't, he can't guard like guards or the team's best forwards, but he's an incredible switcher, which you continue to see this year. He's a rim protector, and he just is a really um, like high IQ defensive player, right? He knows where to be at the right moments, where he can, you know, how to make the right step to force the guy into a bad shot if he can't get the block, or um, how to run a guy into like a, a bad, basically a, a bad shot on the court. Like he just is a very high IQ defensive player. I think the thing about him this year too is. His overall, right, so you look at, like, his effective shooting percentage, which adds in three-point shooting and two-point shooting, right, gives you an extra um, point for three-point. It's actually pretty much around his career average. Right? So last year he had a career high basically across the board and everything, right, which I think is you, would, you wouldn't really think that, right? He only missed eight games. But he had a career high in, like, he was 48.7 from the field, 38.8 from three, and an effective field percentage of 53.6, right? But normally uh, those numbers were more like 35, and then four days, it's been kind of, this year, it's been kind of his average fickle percentage, but he doesn't take that many threes, right? It was 2.6 threes last year, 2.4 before that. Well, this year, it was 45% from the field, 33.6 from three, but half his shots were from three in early. And his effective fickle percentage was 52.5, which is just um, a percentage point below um, last year, which isn't that bad. You know, his overall shots are down, right? He's down to basically a career low in shots outside his first season. Um, and I think the strange thing was he played more minutes at power forward than I probably think he's ever had, right? So, um, and I mean by that is he played a lot more power forward on the um, on the defensive end than you on the offensive end than you ever thought, right? He was always the center defensively, but man, he spent a lot of time sitting in the corner and just taking threes or being the extra assist guy, right? Um, the one thing I will say about him this year is that his on-off numbers, he was act- because of Sabonis, I think it's probably more Sabonis than him, he was... Um, better off the court than he was on the court. So the Pacers were better off when he was not playing. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the playoff totals. I'm an idiot. So when you look at it, sorry, when you look at his on-off numbers for the regular season, uh, it not, it was the same. So he was a positive, sorry, he was a positive on the court, a small negative court, but it was lower than ever was, right? So he was only a positive plus 1.4 on the court. Um, but some years that had been a three, um, and, you know, it got even higher. I mean, there were years where he would be both a positive on and be positive off, and the team was better. I'm talking about like 16, 17, stuff like that. So, um, but so he had he had kind of a worse on off year than his in, in his overall career, but more of that has to do with Sabonis than anything else, right? Sabonis was so good off the court, was so good on the court when he played with the bench that it kind of outweighed everybody. Like I, I'm haven't done it yet, but I wonder what T.J. Warren's would look like or like Brogdon, because remember that bench unit was so good that. They really outplayed the starters most of the time. I mean, that's because of who they played against one another, but all those kind of things. Um, the other thing I like from Turner this year, and this is kind of the, I think, the most important improvement of his career. So you look at his dis- his shot percentage by distance, right? And he had, you know, consistently year after year, um, he had been taking it like nearly 30. So it was 36%, 30%, 30%, 25% of the shots from this 16-foot under three-point range, which is like the most inefficient garbage shot on the planet. He took less than 10% of his shots from that point. He had a he had 9%, 44.3% of his shots from three. I mean, that's, he basically, right, so if you look at the categories, right, he basically combined his 16-foot, he basically turned that 16-foot shot into a three-point shot, mainly on Mokita. Now, he had occasional long two, but most of the time he turned into that shot. And he started taking a ton more shots at the rim, right? So 
um, you know, inside, you know, you look like the, the inside kind of three feet range, three to 10 feet. He is, his percentage is basically up for his career. Um, you know, he took, he, he basically became an inside three foot three inside three foot shooter or three point shooter was something that you want from him, especially because that's kind of where he's the most efficient, right? I mean, he's an okay jump shooter, but he's good enough three point shooter. You want him out there, and so I I do think this year we'll we'll look back as sort of a transition year for Turner, right? So this was the first year I think we're gonna look at that because I think they're gonna bring back Turner as a bonus next year. I just don't see, especially with the the paused year, you kind of wash this one out, you get everybody healthy next year, right? You just you just kind of have a chance to reset, right? If they had played a full season and everything, you could maybe be like, well. You know, it's time to. This didn't work, whatnot. But I think this year you in, you could really talk yourself into both ways, right? Because the team wasn't held like this full year. We don't even know if Broden would have played in the playoffs and whatnot. So maybe you say, well, even if you lost in the finals in the first one, well, we didn't have our full team, right? Well, now you get you get a, you get a real wash. Even if there's a playoff series now for three months, you just wash it as, you know, it was weird, whatever. And maybe they play well for the three months they come back, and even if they don't, whatever. So you can come back next year, run the same team back, 100% healthy is the hope, and see what happens. And I think the the improvements Turner made in mentality and I mean by being the extra assist man right so you look at his assist numbers um he doesn't you know he I don't, I don't really track hockey assists very well but I, I from the eye test I mentioned he had more hockey assists than he normally had um in his career um and you look at the mentality of taking a ton more threes and just being a three-point shooter and an inside three feet shooter that will make an improvement next year when everybody's healthy and he maybe could get a three-point percentage up to like 36 with maybe five attempts per game and things like that, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, defensively, they'll get better with more chemistry. So I, I think this is sort of, this is it's the kind of a transition here, right? You know, his first year, he was the power forward, right? I mean, that's that's basically what behind him. Then he became a center for the next three years. And this year, it was transitioning into a pseudo 5-4, right? Where he's four on the offensive end and five on the center end. And that takes some adjustment, right? Uh, and... I think he adjusted fine. I mean, I think, you know, he could have been, sure, if he was shooting 40% from three, he'd averaging 14 points per game, and he got an extra block, whatever, great. Yes, certainly he could be better, but I think he did a, a adequate job adjusting, and next year he'll be even better because he'll spend a whole year doing it. He'll hopefully get a whole offseason with the guys this, once, you know, this whole virus ends and this quarantine ends, they'll be able to practice and do a kind of training and whatnot, and I think it'll be there'll be some improvements we'll see in the end of terms of both working together, add in a better offensive guards, right? When you add in the combination of Warren, Oladipo, and Brogdon, they're going to be pretty solid. So um, I'm kind of excited, I think, when I look at Turner this year, where, yes, I, if I grade him from a 1 to 10 scale, I'd say he came in at a 6, right? He wasn't awesome, but he wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. But I think if we look at look back going forward, it's it's he is going to, this is going to be kind of that transition where we say next year he's an 8 because he's going to be, you know, 13 points a game on 9 shots, 5 of them from 3 and 37%. And he'll... And he'll be even better defensively, and he'll have you know he'll be his blocks will be back up to the two point five to seven range that they were last year. So that's what I'm looking forward to too. I think now too we've had basically two consecutive years where he's been pretty much healthy, right? He had a really bad 17-18 where he just could not consistently stay healthy. These past two years he pretty much has, except for a minor things here and there. I think they figured out the minutes for him. He's got his fouls down. I mean I think they're just it's it's things are starting to settle in. I think we'll see his points per game come back up, right? We've seen this kind of. 14 in second year, then down to 12, then up to 13, then 11 this year. I think we'll see kind of an uptick back to the 14 range um, once he becomes a little better at three, right? So if he shoots 38% from three, I think that translates to about, what, half a three-point shot, so at one and a half more points. That gets you to 13.3 um, points right there. So, I mean, that's that's what we're looking at, right? If he can do something like that and that gets, you know, his, his field goal percentage overall would probably never be that high again just because it'll take so many threes. 
but his effective field percentage should shoot up if he shoots 38 percent to 50 54 ranges which would be a career high which i think that's the key with him right now it's not necessarily his overall field goal percentage but his effective field goal percentage and his three points those are the two numbers to look at that's it for him um all right let's take one quick break and i'm gonna bring on a special guest to talk about miles turner no matter what moves you made last year turbo tax experts make them count did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse that's a move did you go back to school to get your degree that's a move did you relocate for a fresh start well that's literally a move maybe you moved into a house boat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming or you rode the stock market to the moon and back TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax, make your moves, they'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Welcome back in the Locked On Pacers podcast. All right, so to end this podcast, I brought on the biggest Miles Turner fan in my life. You might have heard her on a podcast already this year a couple times. Uh, since we are in quarantine, we are quarantined together uh, and during this, this this pandemic. So I thought I'd bring her on because she uh, listens to all my podcasts, watched a lot of the Pacers games, and has been has some really does have a lot to say about a lot of players, but has a very, very um, strong affinity for Miles Turner. And if there was one player she'd have a lot of takes for, it, it'd be Turner. So, Marina, um, I did my kind of whole thing on Turner's season. You don't have to go as long as me. I went 15 minutes. But what is what was your take on Miles Turner's season? You think it's good, bad, you know, compared to last year? What, what did you like and what didn't you like? Uh, at the beginning, it was worrisome because all the people were like, trade him because he's not good because he wasn't very good. Well, he was good, but, like, he wasn't great. And that was making me sad. Um. A plus commentary right there, but uh, just like very average, and it was getting hard for me to be like, "Hey, he's a good, he's a good man. Please keep him," because he was very average. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happened, but it was like, boom, boom, boom. Every time, every time there was a game, I would get someone tweeting at me and being like, "Oh my God, it's so impressive. He's doing so well." And I would turn it on and I'd be like, "Oh my God, look at him go." So I don't know. What happened? I'm actually really sad that the NBA is postponed because I think we were on a little bit of a hot streak with him. Yeah, I feel like he turned a corner last like nine. I'm or actually 10 games. like really disappointed because it came at like a really bad time for him. Yeah, I think he, I think he was feeling himself. I don't know what happened. I guess it was him drinking coffee. Yeah, I mean that was probably I forgot to mention that that's probably his turning point, right? When he was drinking coffee, I feel like his three point shot was going was falling yeah. more. Like all of a sudden he was getting this energy. <laughs> So, did you think the Sabonis Turner thing worked? I mean, I, I know you don't have a huge love for Sabonis. I don't. Um, but like, did you think he was taking too much from him? I mean, do, do you think you know? No. Are when, you saying no? Did Sabonis be- take took too much from Turner? By oh. by you know, I, I think I mean right. I felt like no, no. I think they they seem happy for each other when the other person succeeds, and you can't expect them to be selfless all the time either of them so I think that they gave up shots for each other when they had to and they took shots from each other when they had to and I think they made it work and I don't know how common it is to have two centers play all the time with each other or play a lot of their time with each other not not very common I like it I think it makes the team unique and they've been there 
together for how many seasons now? Two? Three? Three now is the third Three. season together. So clearly they have chemistry, and they've played together more than um, – I don't want to get that close to it. Um, they've played together more than, like, Vic and Miles have because Vic's been out and Miles has been out, but they have chemistry, and um, I think you can tell that they're friends, like, outside of there, and I think they want to see each other succeed and they're going to make it work, whereas, like, other players – if they were on this, like if they were both centers or whatever, and they didn't have that chemistry, they wouldn't really care to see the other person succeed, and they wouldn't try to work together as much. So I think that's important, and I like it. I'm a fan. I don't like Demonte Sabonis, but it's okay. So do you do you think Turner will have a better year next year though? I mean, I I, I gonna, always think he's gonna have a better year. See, I think it's kind of a transition season. I was saying that earlier that he that this is like he had a kind of yeah. I think he needs confidence, and I think he saw. A good point right. there. Yeah, hopefully that kind of carries in the next season. And if can build on that. Yeah, I think it felt like, too, he was sort of playing like, – he played a lot of center last year and didn't play a lot of bonus this year. He's having to play a little four on, four on offense and five on defense, so it's kind of like a weird hybrid mix. He's trying to kind of figure that out. Um, Have you mentioned the coffee – or the, the sugar packet thing? No, How you no. explained, like – I don't know. I don't know what oh, like oh, the, the I don't spacing? know what the four and the five. I don't know what those are. I mean so. spacing. Yeah, we had a whole through a whole thing about about spacing. So I made Adam explain it with like these sugar packets at a restaurant. It still um, doesn't really make sense to me, but yeah, I think he did great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, turned out a good job spacing. He's got to shoot a little better from three, but I don't know. I I think the one thing you say about the season ending short, ending short basically, um, is it probably gives him a chance to run it back next year without any like critiques. Right? I don't think anybody right now is clamoring for anything to happen. You know, I think a lot of teams will just kind of see what they have and run, and, and run it back again, which I think will be helpful to Turner. Um, I think he kind of like had a transition season where he wasn't, you know, a 10, a 10. He's probably, I gave him a 6 out of 10 rating for the season. Which I thought, you know, he wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. He was kind of just up and down. But I think next year he could be like an 8 out of 10, a 9 out of 10. Sort of consistency. Who, who else did you rate higher than that then? Well, I think you would rate like Sabonis, um, Brogdon and Warren as like eights and nines, and then you know you put like Turner as a six, Whatever. stuff like that. I mean, I'm trying. I haven't done all the players yet, but I think you probably put like Aaron Holiday at like a five, Justin Holiday at maybe a seven, McDermott like at a seven, things like that. Whatever. I think he was probably their like six or seven best player this year. I take T.J. McConnell to nine. Well, in terms of the expectations, right? Too there's there's a little bit higher expectation for him than some of the other players, so that's why. But um, anything else on Turner? No. All right, well, it's been today. I love him. That's been all for his Locked On Pacers podcast. As always, we'll bring He's you a good po- boy. Sorry. Yes, he is. We'll bring you a new podcast tomorrow. Uh, as always, you can follow our podcast at Locked On Pacers, me at Freeman of Five, Marina at Marina Aguera, and my co host, Tony's at Teased NBA. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.